Hello, and welcome to Art Dirt, a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I'm Brandon Zeck. I'm Christina Reese. And today we're talking about a spreadsheet that's been taking quite a bit of the art world by storm. It's called Mm -hmm. Arts Plus All Museums Salary Transparency 2019. It was started only a week ago at this point. It's June 7th right now. It was started by Michelle Miller Fisher and her colleagues. Michelle is a curator at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. So this spreadsheet was inspired in part by Kimberly Drew, who's a curator, museum worker, the founder of Black Contemporary Art. She gave a talk earlier this year, actually in May, at the American Alliance of Museums annual meeting. And part of that talk involved her speaking to her experience uh, working at the Met and how she didn't make as much as her predecessor, who was a white man. Um, You know, this promoted Michelle and her colleagues to get the spreadsheet going so that there could be transparency in our field because there tends to be less transparency. Oftentimes, salaries aren't posted. Things like Glassdoor aren't as accurate for the art sector. You know, there's not as big of a market as there are for other, quote, quote, normal companies. So this is an effort to really make transparency happen. Yeah, it's true. I mean, th- I mean, this is part of a kind of a trend of radical transparency, period, which is really kind of kicked in again over the last couple of years. Um, museum and nonprofit salary transparency, it's an interesting subject, and there are almost 2,000 entries at this point. They're all anonymous. Sometimes they're, they're in there, all the columns as they line up, it's your region, uh, the kind of institution you work in, your position, your starting salary when you, when you started at the institution, what it is now, um, whether or not it required a degree, whether you're male or female, uh, et cetera. You can fill in as much or as little of that information as you want to. Um, some of the entries are not particularly helpful because they're so general, and some are really pretty specific. And you also see a trend in, this, in the spreadsheet where you can tell that almost an entire staff of a museum museum sat down and filled it in, uh, and others where it's just an outlier. It's just one person at a rural museum in Ohio who listed their salary as an assistant curator, and they're the only person from that particular place. But um, you do start to, with this many entries, you do start to see patterns. Um, you know, you dive into it maybe at first with this kind of idea of almost this salacious kind of curiosity or gossip, like who, who makes how much money? And of course, with the 990s, tax returns available to people online uh, for nonprofits and institutions, you can see some things, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of salaries are very opaque with these institutions. So Well, and that's always how a list like this starts. It starts off as juicy, but then it starts spreading and spreading. And, you know, by the time it gets to 2000 responses, it really is a survey at this point that things can be deduced from. Of course, you know, we probably have to just preface the whole idea behind this also is it's anonymous, so it kind of can't be checked except by 990s. But I feel like there's a lot of good faith around this because people aren't going to lie and everyone contributing to this wants to actually figure out what's going on in the field at this time. Yeah, nobody's bragging on a spreadsheet like that. I mean, the reason that it's anonymous is because people are, 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 generally, if somebody is going to disclose this kind of information, and historically it's been considered really gauche to talk about how much you make, it seems to be taboo to ask your coworkers how much they make. I mean, there's reasons behind that that has a lot to do with the protection of, of employers, not employees. So I don't think anyone is going to be uh, entering their salary on this 
uh, spreadsheet as 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 bragging, and and also, despite the fact that the art industry in the U.S. and beyond is is a multi-billion-dollar industry, these salaries are not gigantic uh, compared to a lot of other industries. <laughs> Well, and the other thing that you see in this is that if people work for a larger institution, they're more likely to list the name of the institution rather than the, the fact that they work for a small nonprofit in Houston. They like you know, There are listings for the Museum of Fine Arts. There are listings for the Art Institute of Chicago, for the Guggenheim, for LACMA, for MoMA, because you can kind of hide in staffs of hundreds. Oh, yeah, or thousands. The Metropolitan Museum of Art has truly thousands of employees. So if somebody says that they're an editor of something, in what department, we're not necessarily sure at the Tate. And, and by the way, this is an international list. There are some listings from other countries, but... Uh, a, you know, an editor at the Tate, if you don't know if they're in exhibitions or uh, public or, you know, uh, exhibition catalogs or text or whatever, you don't, you don't necessarily know. You, they probably can't be found out. But, um, you know, I will see. The other thing is about cost of living in different markets. I mean, that's something that I think a lot of people who are going to certain markets and applying for jobs, they have a right to know how much their peers are making in San Francisco or New York or Houston. Well, yeah, that's part of this radical transparency. And I know, Christina, in researching this topic, you and I both independently of one another did some cost of living calculations. Um, I used nerd wallet, which of course you have to take with a grain of salt. At the same time, they do get their data from reliable sources like the Council for Community and Economic Research, the U.S. Census, um, mm -hmm. the Transit Authority, you know, all of that kind of thing. But if you lived in Houston and made $30,000 and wanted to move to Los Angeles, you would need to make 46000 a year, so 15000 right. more. Right. Uh, to maintain the same lifestyle. If you lived in Houston and wanted to move to Brooklyn and made 30, you need to make 55,000. And if you lived in Houston and wanted to move to Manhattan and made 30,000, you need to make $75,000 a year to maintain the same lifestyle. Of course, yeah. that's based on housing, you know, a two bedroom in Houston. They have it averaged as like 1200 a month, whereas of course in Manhattan, it's going to be nearly 5,000. Yeah, that's right. And you can even calculate whether or not you have a family. Uh, but I think um, I, I think with that, what, where this information gets starts to get useful to employees, and especially people who are looking for jobs, is uh, and young people graduating from college, you know, is even whether or not a museum pays its interns uh, by the hour, or gives them a salary, or doesn't pay them at all. Um, you start to get a sense of, you can kind of extrapolate that in New York, if uh, the interns aren't getting paid at a major museum, well, what are they? Are they trust fund babies? Are they working two jobs, sort of full time? What are they doing? How are they getting a leg up in the art world if they're not being paid for their internship? Or living in an apartment with 10 other people. Yeah, living with 10 other people and working at a, you know, uh, part-time somewhere else. But, you know, I, uh, one of the things, one of the sort of trends that I see in the spreadsheet that I thought was interesting is it's um, two of the columns. One is the salary, your starting salary when you started at the job, and one is your current salary. And you can see um, these salaries go up. But, I mean, but really, by and large, 
these salaries tend to start at around, I mean, on average, like 2016, 2017. Most of them are recent. Sometimes you can find one going back to 2006, 2007. But to me, that speaks to probably two different facts about people who are entering stuff on the spreadsheet. One is either they're very young and they're just starting out. They've only graduated a few years ago. Um, so these are their first jobs, and they may be generationally more likely to want to enter their salary on this spreadsheet. Uh, and the other thing would be that, may, uh, that it maybe speaks to high turnover at these institutions. I agree with the generational thing, but one of the things when I was looking at those salary ranges, especially in Texas institutions or people that claim they were from Texas institutions, was kind of the amazing promotion range that happened between them. Like there was a marketing director who started at 43 and ended at 57,000 a year. There was a collections manager that started at 35 and ended at 45 an education specialist that started at 72 and ended at 83. Like there were some real salary jumps between starting and ending salaries that only happened in the past five years or less. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's, I don't know if that's, uh, if that speaks to sort of the decency of the art world, uh, that it's trying to keep up with the cost of living or the rewarding of good people within their positions. Maybe, maybe. And one of the differences also in pay scales and promotions and that kind of thing is in Texas, unlike in somewhere like New York, we don't have unions. I was doing some research before this, uh, reading Hyperallergic's coverage of the local 2110 union, who uh, is responsible for unions at the Museum of Modern Art, the Bronx Museum, the New York Historical Society, recently the New Museum, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, the Tenement Museum. So recently, this union, 2110, was able to negotiate with MoMA and got all of their employees pretty good contract renegotiation. And that's something that has to be done individually in a place like Texas. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, in a right-to-work state, it's uh, I think a, this kind of transparency is more important. I was also looking at one of the one of the sort of details or nuances that got lost in this sort of thing. If you go into, I went into the 990s of the DMA and the Nasher, and um, I was almost shocked by how much the total revenue of the DMA has jumped around in the last five years. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. Um, and so I think, I think it would also behoove a new college graduate who's looking for a job to maybe look at some of that stuff and take these kinds of things into consideration when they're about to ask for a salary that they think is fair. Art institutions and cities kind of, they do prop up the culture and create the culture of a city and a city markets itself and thrives on its culture. But that doesn't necessarily mean that institutions are completely safe and um, taken care of. So I, you know, I, I think it, it's still kind of a precarious market, basically. There's a tremendous amount of money in the art world. That doesn't mean that nonprofits and institutions are always doing really well. And of course, museums don't operate in the same range as commercial galleries, and there are fewer commercial galleries within this uh, salary transparency list. But one that I think kind of reflects what you're talking about, also just the up and down of the art world and of the market is there's a gallery listed in this spreadsheet. Uh, I believe it's an assistant director of a gallery in Houston and they make a thousand a month plus 10% commission. So having your salary reflect on sales is something that galleries really kind of depend on. And it's something that also gets kind of lost sometimes in this conversation. I think 
that this spreadsheet, I think that any, I think at this point, people entering salaries from uh, their gallery jobs, I don't think that's meaningful on this spreadsheet at this point, unless you list what the gallery is. I did see somebody from Sadie Coles had listed their uh, salary, Sadie Coles Gallery in London, but unless you list the gallery that you work for, that those numbers are not meaningful. The real test of this would be getting people to enter their salaries from Gagosian and from Hauser and Worth, and that's when you kind of start to see the disparity between the front of house and back of house staff. You also start to see the disparity between the commercial art world and the nonprofit art world. Um, I can almost guarantee you that uh, an editor working in publications at Hauser and Wirth is making a lot of money, um, and maybe quite a bit more than they would be making at any museum or nonprofit. Isn't same for um, same for curators. Well, that's why curators have left institutions and gone to galleries, is because absolutely they can make a better salary, and then they can also have sometimes possibly more money to do exhibitions that they would want to do than. A, huge museum, which is kind of insane, but the fact that these mega galleries basically are museums kind of lends itself to that. That is, and the, but they don't have to, they don't have these 990s that, that we can access, and so I think radical transparency for the larger galleries would be great. I don't know if these people would be in danger of losing their jobs. Uh, I don't know what kind of pressure their employers would put on them to not disclose this kind of information, but I imagine it would be substantial. Well, especially within the gallery itself. Talk about protecting employers like creating competitive environments within galleries in terms of sales or in terms of staff wanting to move up into sales positions is a real thing in the art world because there's so many people that could do it, but only the best ones are going to get to. Right. And I also wonder if there are people working in uh, subsections of the industry, and particularly auction houses, if um, employees of Christie's versus employees of Sotheby's wouldn't really necessarily want to compare and contrast too much, if they're more protective of what they make um, for various personal reasons. I'd love to see these kinds of salaries listed, but there's very little of that on the spreadsheet at this point. Um, I do think that this is kind I do think that the usefulness of the, I think you and I agree that this is a useful trend and I think that even but it's such a personal thing to disclose your salary the fact that they're making it anonymous certainly helps a lot but I I do think generationally it's it's harder probably for somebody my age to want to disclose my salary than maybe for somebody your age um, and I also think that even it's so personal that even within families, you know, the culture in your family has something to do with whether or not you're willing to talk about that sort of thing. You know, for instance, my mom is radically transparent about money and salary and my dad is radically opaque about it. And you take that with you into your professional life and you either bristle if somebody asks you how much you make or you're very willing to just offer that information. Do you think that goes along with kind of cultural uh, aspects as well. Like this spreadsheet is international. It is mostly US based though. Uh, I was also reading a hyperallergic article about how Tate posted three job listings for assistant curator positions at the Tate Britain and the Tate Modern. And they had starting <laughs> annual salaries of 24,000 pounds a year or $32,000 US. In comparison, the Tate director Nicholas Sirota's annual salary at the time was around $220,000 a year. Uh, but you know, the cost of living in London, I know you have lived in London, making <laughs> making $30,000 a year as uh, as an assistant curator at the Tate just would not be doable without having to do a hour and a half long train ride into the city. 
every day. And they do. And they do. They do exactly that. And um, there's two things about that. I, yeah, I noticed the uh, the few salaries that were listed from in England and in London. I was horrified. I was like, oh, my God, these poor people and their commute. That's exactly what I thought was that their commute must be horrendous. Um, because that's not a living. $34,000 a year, $43,000 a year is not a living in London. Uh, not if you live in anywhere inside the one of the two or three or four loops that they've got. Um, I don't, you know, but I also think that is a cultural thing. And when I mentioned my parents, though, I will say that both of my parents are from Texas. They're native Texans. Um, their parents were from Texas. So, you know, the fact that one of them is willing to talk about money and one of them's not. And they both went to the University of Texas as well. So, there, I mean, there's way more crossover in their personal cultures than not. And yet, the, you know, one's willing to talk, the other's not. I will say in England, people do not want to talk about money. In America, people, I think, are much more willing to do so. I think it's a younger, newer country, and there's just kind of a more of a, I don't know, a sense of, um, I wouldn't say responsibility. Uh, the English would probably call it shamelessness, but I think we would call it just... Uh, radical honesty. At the same time, they're kind of being a generational thing. I I do agree with that. But then also, you know, part of this list is looking at the difference between salaries given to uh, people who identify as men or women, and then also by race. And a large part of this conversation, which it's hard to quantify just by looking at things in a spreadsheet without having everything of one kind next to one another, but is the disparity in the gender gap between salaries and the disparity between uh, people of color and white people with salaries. I think that's why this spreadsheet exists. And um, I think that, um, you know, we as, you know, two people working in Texas can kind of get caught up in the other details. But ultimately, I think that's, that is the reason for this spreadsheet. And I think that while the art world is better about its employment practices with women and their salaries than a lot of other industries, I still, you know, uh, am very aware, and we should all be aware, that women, uh, by and large, are still making 80 cents on the dollar compared to men, and, uh, and also that minorities don't make as much money as white people. And I think this is where it's useful. As an editor, when I'm scrolling through this spreadsheet, I'm like, oh, this is a really unwieldy, giant thing. I would love for somebody to really whip this into a very organized shape so that um, one could see the patterns much more easily. I think it takes quite a bit of digging to really get a sense of what women or minorities are being paid compared to white males. Um, it's not immediately obvious. I hope somebody will do that. I hope that somebody will start to extrapolate this facts and statistics from this thing. And uh, and I think, I think it should, be left to run for a few more weeks. I mean, these things are still being filled in. And part of this also is this spreadsheet comes in advance of a study that's about to be released by the Professional Organization for Women in the Arts, um, which is a salary survey that's a comprehensive salary survey focusing on visual arts, for-profit and non-profit sectors. And that's scheduled to come out on June 20th of this year. So it's scheduled to come out soon. Uh, and then, of course... Other institutions have done salary surveys and things like this in the past. The Association of Art Museum Directors uh, for about 32 years has done a survey uh, of current and former Association of Art Museum Director member institutions, looking at all the different administrative positions and breakdowns and things like that. But I feel like in this case, 
you know, this is a little bit of a self-selected data set, but at the same time, any data set that we can get around this, as long as it's large enough, is kind of inherently useful. Yeah, it really is. And um, and I think that with uh, so many of these jobs requiring a master's degree, at least a master's degree, and, these, and people graduating with tremendous amount of debt, and yet these jobs require a master's, um, I think this is... So far, this is uh, this is a really useful piece of information for newly graduated MAs and MFAs to get out there in the world and to start trying to negotiate for themselves. And I want to reiterate uh, this kind of um, growing wisdom that for employers, employers, this is a good idea. You don't want your employees to be uh, infighting, suspicious of one another, paranoid, you know, bogging down HR with complaints. Uh, you want your workers to be happy. And as far as I can tell, um, when there's more transparency about pay scales in the workplace, employees are happier and happier employees uh, work better. Also at these cultural institutions, employees are the main budgetary expense. Cultural institutions need humans to get the things done. You could say this probably about a lot of businesses, but humans are the ones that are doing all of this work. So, you know, that goes for art installers, for preparators, for photographers that photograph exhibitions. Humans are the top expense at a lot of these places. So mm -hmm. the humans really matter. And it's good that there are a lot of us, but at the same time, there are a lot of us. So sometimes it can create interesting, weird situations and in, infighting and everything we were talking about in terms of larger institutions and larger cities. Yeah, you know, the art world is a very hu it's a it's a very human industry because we're celebrating the output of of people, of individuals. That's what art is. And to lose individuals and their rights and their, uh, you know, their uh, basic dignity by burying uh, salaries is probably not a particularly good idea. With that said, you know, also, just to mention very quickly, one of the other reasons for this idea of radical transparency is the art world is this is following on the trend of people calling out museums for their trustees and where the money, where their trustees' money comes from, and whether or not it's you know perceived by art world patrons as dirty money. And the Sacklers, of course, are the main ones in the headlines. So um, there's a there's also kind of a sense of injustice, I, I think, floating around that the money at the very top of the art world is obscene and absurd, and then the money at the bottom of the art world, i.e. the interns and the assistants, um, is also obscene. It's obscenely low. And that disparity, you know, it is inherently unfair, and it's something that can be addressed. And people address it in their own ways. There's a website, jobs.art, which is run by Art Handler or Art Handler Mag on Instagram. And they don't list internships. I don't even think they list paid internships because their whole policy is that even a paid internship isn't going to be able to sustain you. They only want to list real jobs at institutions that, you know, even if the salary might not be $50,000 a year, people can, in theory, live off of. With that, you can uh, access the spreadsheet right now and start digging around in it. And you can do uh, word searches as, uh, as well. Look for Texas if you're looking for uh, Texas stuff. It will continue to build. 
and also look for that report. What is the name of the report that's coming out? Yeah, the report is from the Professional Organization for Women in the Arts. We'll write about it when it comes out. It comes out on June 20th. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to include in this post um, a link to the 2017 Association of Art Museum Directors report that I talked about. There will be a couple links uh, in the show notes and in the post on our website that has this podcast. So take a look at that. You'll also be able to access the spreadsheet from there. All right. And so with that, uh, I want to encourage all new graduates to look at the spreadsheet, figure out what you're worth before you go out looking for your job in our art world. And go see some art. And go see some art. Mm-hmm.